Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, hello, hi, uh, thank you so much, Tommy, for doing our reading. And we are today in Acts chapter 2. So if you didn't have a chance to look that up on your phone or find a Bible and look at it, now's a great time to do that. I think that will help you to follow along. And we are looking at the moment at the book of Acts in this series we've called The New Normal, where Acts, uh, the book of Acts talks about what our expectations should be if we're trusting Jesus now that he's no longer here physically, but his spirit is with us. What's the, the new normal we should expect? And that's what the book of Acts is teaching us about. My name is Morris. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Um, we'd much prefer to be together. I'd love to see your faces. I'd love to chat afterwards to you. And uh, that's what we prefer. Um, but we're making the use of technology to do what we can do for the moment. And we look forward to the day when we can be physically back together. And today we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to, what are the verses? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So, uh, if you have been watching at all, maybe you've been watching our YouTube channel for some time, maybe you've picked up one of these talks that we've done before, maybe it's your first time tuning in, in which, time, in which case, welcome. If it isn't, you'll have heard us over the last few weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is real, that he indwells the lives of Christians and that he transforms us, that having the Spirit in us changes us. And I think for lots of Christians, or even if you're investigating the Christian faith, you, you might think, okay, well, what is that though? What is that feeling? Um, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Uh, when is change coming because of this transforming power of the Holy Spirit? And when is change coming just because I'm putting effort in and people change because, you know, they change? I was corresponding with someone this week, someone who used to belong to our church a few years ago and now they live in another part of the world. And they would have had some sort of faith in the past, but they were saying, I used to say in the past it was the Holy Spirit and that's why things were changing, but now I just think I was trying hard because I wanted to fit in with everyone and you'd convince me that certain things were right, so I tried hard, but it was just my effort. And I told myself it was the Holy Spirit at the time. Well, I think if you are wondering that, it may be because you have a slightly wrong view of what being a Christian is about at all. This should come up on the screen. But I think many of us think the way the Bible, the way hearing Christians talk is supposed to work is like this, that there's a command and you're just supposed to do it. And so the way that the commands of the Bible relate to me is that I hear them and I do them. 
And why might I do them? Well, I have different motivations. It might be that, you know, for some strange reason, you respect me and I'm saying it's important, so you think you ought to do it. Or you think God will be angry if I don't obey that command. Or maybe you're part of a group where that type of thing is done. You think, oh, I don't want to be disapproved of, so I'll do it. So I'll try to be different. I hear the command, and for one of those reasons, I try to do it. And that's the relationship the command has to me. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, blows where he wills and can use all of our confused efforts to do good things. But hearing something as a command and just trying to do it, because it's a command and you do it, that is not the normal way the Spirit works, as the Bible describes to us. And you know how I know that? Because that view that there's commands and we do them, it leaves Jesus totally out of the equation. And the Spirit, above all things, is interested in pointing us to Jesus. Jesus died so we could be right with God. We trust him and we're welcomed into God's family. And the Spirit is given as a gift to us to make that relationship of family with God, where he's our father, and Jesus, where he's our brother. The Spirit is given to us to make that experience real in our lives. And so anything that describes the action of the Spirit without pointing us and drawing us into that relationship with Jesus is not the Spirit, because the Spirit draws us into that relationship. In fact, this business of there's a command and I have to obey it or I'll be in some sort of trouble, that's the state the Bible describes as being under law. And it's not a positive experience, it's trying hard and usually failing and knowing your weakness. The Spirit says, forgiveness for whatever that God's Word exposes in you, forgiveness for that is already past. Whatever God is drawing to attention to you through his Word that isn't right in your life, as a Christian, as someone who's trusted Jesus, that's drawn to your attention as someone who's already forgiven. There is no worry that God will reject you for disobedience to a particular command anymore. God's personal presence is now in your life. He's there, calling out from you to God as Father. And your response to any particular command can't change that. So let's go back to our diagram. We hear a command in the Bible, and often, usually when we hear a command, we need to do this thing that the book of Acts describes. We need to repent we need to say, oh, yes, I don't do that, but we repent towards Jesus. We say, I don't do that, but we come to Jesus and realise he's already done everything. We uh, need to be right with God. And so repentance is a joyful thing, knowing that you're wrong, but being welcomed and accepted. We receive uh, the benefits that Jesus gives us. We enjoy the Father's embrace. And from there, where we're enjoying this right status with God that Jesus gives to us, as we repent from seeing the command and we enjoy Jesus, then the Holy Spirit moves our hearts to change what we want. There is no condemnation in it, just the help of a loving Father. And the hard work we have to do is not to say, oh, there's a command, I must try and obey it. The hard work we have to do is to repent and enjoy the benefits that Jesus gives us. So instead of saying, the Bible says I should read the Bible, so I must read the Bible more, 
we say the Bible says I must read the Bible and I really don't do that very much. So I'm going to go to God through Jesus and say, my desire for the Bible is weak, but you love me and you want what's best for me. So loving Heavenly Father, help me do it. And as your heart is warm, the spirit moves you towards doing the right thing. Now, I'm talking all about that because we're in a bit of the Bible, Acts, which is a story, a narrative. It's just describing truth about what's happened. And we know that God will change us through that by his spirit. But it's difficult doing a narrative because you might just find yourself pointing out good things that people in the story do and saying, oh, I ought to do that. Oh, I'm rubbish at doing that. I ought to try harder to do that. Oh, I'm rubbish at doing that. Leaving the Holy Spirit and Jesus out of the equation altogether. So here's how we think about this description we have in Acts 2. It's painting a picture of something the Holy Spirit did that we, as we read it, will realise we don't live up to and we'll come to Jesus and we'll ask for that work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. This is Luke's first description of a Christian community, a first gathering of people who had trusted in Jesus to be right with God and had his spirit in their lives. This is the first spirit-led group of Christians. And as we look at them, we will probably see more often than not how we should be like them, but we're not. And so we mustn't forget coming to Jesus, seeking the help of the Spirit. And this, our response should be a grateful returning to Jesus' grace and a, a sort of driving, a, a movement out from that to say, yes, I want to become more like this. Let's not ignore Jesus, but come to him, receive and enjoy his kindness to change us as we see this amazing picture of what the Holy Spirit can do. And here's the first thing we see in the passage we had read today. The Spirit forms a community. Now, um, in meaning to be helpful, the people who translate Bibles put in subtitles. And they do it to help us. So, you know, thank you for that, Bible translators. But uh, here, the subtitle doesn't help if you've got the same Bible as me. Because it says in verse 41, 3,000 were added to their number. Then there's a subtitle, The Fellowship of Believers. And then it starts talking about them as if it's a totally new topic. In fact, the way to read it is probably much more continuous than that. Those who accepted his message were baptised. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The immediate dramatic result of this pouring out of the Spirit was individuals repenting. So each person, me, you, everyone, has to individually say to God, I was wrong. And I trust in you for forgiveness through Jesus for all the ways I've been wrong. And you can only do that by yourself. And that's why baptism is the sign of it, because you choose to be baptised to show this change that you have decided to make. The Spirit brings individuals to repentance. But when uh, we come to the Spirit... When we come to the Spirit, he forms then a community. Just to be clear, and I say this in the context of everything I've said about, we might realise we're getting this wrong, we go to Jesus for grace and the Spirit changes us. But just to be clear, from the very beginning, there was never, from the start of history of God saving people by the Spirit, there was never a Christianity without a church. There were never real Christian believers 
who chose not to be part of a community with other Christian believers. There have been, I think, and we might be experiencing this at the moment, real believers who've been stopped from connecting with other Christians by the law or a pandemic. But spirit-filled Christians will hunger and long for that to return. No spirit-filled person chooses to be out of Christian community. And we particularly might have fallen out of hearing that, the Spirit's voice in this, over the last few months, because church has become, for many of us, simply tuning into a YouTube talk, like watching a TED talk, and then going off to do something else. Maybe it's convenient for you, maybe you're not watching this with us on Sunday morning, but it's convenient for you to do it later in the day, which means you're not even engaging at the same time as everybody else in the chat or whatever in a community of believers. A lot of you, our meetings have stopped, and so our experience of community is limited, and so we can forget. That's weird, it's odd, and it's unspiritual. So we could be, have, because of necessity, losing the Spirit's voice on this at this time. God forms through individuals repenting and giving them the Spirit, Christian communities. So people who say, I am a Christian, but I'm fine without church, or I sort of attend church now and again, but I just always stay in the fringes. People who say that need to be aware that that's not a spiritual instinct, not from the Holy Spirit, wherever it's coming from. And maybe you read this description in Acts 2 and you think, well, the thing is, if it was like that, I would be committed to it. But my experience of church has been nothing like that. But it's worth saying this thing in Acts 2 is one snapshot of a community that is both amazing and frustrating. And still they remain devoted to it constantly. We'll discover in the next few chapters there were plenty of pressures and tensions and hypocrites. All the reasons people have for keeping the church at arm's length. They were true in this church too, but the spirit bonded them together in a community despite that and through it. There's no sense that anyone had to be dragged or warned or cajoled into attending. As those 3,000 people are baptised, the Spirit brings them near to God and binds them to one another. That is what he does. Now you might struggle with that. So that's how I want to remember our triangle, our diagram from the beginning. I can't and no one can condemn you. Say you're wrong with God if you're trusting in Jesus. If you've got life trusting in Jesus in the spirit, you're free from that condemnation. But you need to be aware that keeping in step with the spirit means being in a church community, not just watching it from afar, but really properly being in it. And if you realise you're not doing that, well, repent towards Jesus, enjoy the benefits that he gives, and the Spirit will move you towards loving other Christians instead of just yourself. So the Spirit forms a community is the first thing we see. Here's the second thing we see. The Spirit forms a community that is spiritual. Remember this picture, those halcyon days, feels like another planet, when we used to stand near each other at the end of church, drinking coffee prepared by other people. Feels like different world now. Hopefully, that different world will be back sometime soon. But maybe you don't 
remember those days because you arrived late all the time and then ran off early and tried to avoid people. And if that's you, I refer you to point one. But maybe you do remember that and you miss those casual chats. One of the things that I've realised as I've missed those chats is that a lot of the time I wasted them. I made chit chat, that British obsession. When in fact, what it was a chance to do, unlike the rest of the week for most of us, is to really encounter people who also trust Jesus, to give and receive encouragement, to enter into someone else's world and speak truth and help them and pray for them and love them. When sometimes I was just chit-chatting. And the community that the Spirit forms is a spiritual community that way. What brings them together is their devotion, that's the word it uses, to spiritual things. They're devoted to learning, to praying, to deep connection with each other, and to sharing communion, remembering Jesus' death in the way he commanded. Now, there are very strong amazing communities in the world, strong identities in the world. I'm sure there are people in church who feel a stronger identity with another community, whether it's Liverpool supporters or medical students or people from your part of the world if you aren't in your own country. So there are very strong communities out there. The church does not have a monopoly in that. But here is a community brought together by the Spirit and what is unique about it is that it is a spiritual community. It is circled around, devoted to, always getting on with spiritual things. So the spirit means that people come to hear teaching from the Bible because they long to know God with the community of Christians. The spirit means that people want to come and pray and talk to God with other Christians. And when they do come together, they actually pray when they're there. The Spirit means people come wanting to know the random people from completely different backgrounds who are in the same place, trusting the same Lord as them. And the Spirit says, even if you prefer watching from your sofa, gathering now and again to take communion, to remember the Lord in that way, should be something you ache for and grasp the chance to do if you can. You know, there are some people, I feel it in myself, this moment in some ways we like it because it enables us to retreat from this type of intentional spiritual community. There's every excuse just to turn my church community into watching this. Maybe we like that because my own spiritual life is weak and we don't want that exposed. Or there's some sin going on, it's easier to keep covering up. Or maybe it's just we're busy with other things. And this situation makes it easy to step out of the type of community Acts 2 describes. But the Spirit calls us into that. Not just something in common chit-chat, but spiritual fellowship. He, the Holy Spirit, calls a hunger for a teaching of the Bible a longing to pray with other Christians. Now, remember our diagram from the start. You could hear that and say, yes, I shall solve this by doing the command. I will talk more seriously. I will pray more. You know, do it. 
And in a sense, that would be comforting for me. I'd love more people to come to prayer meetings. And I guess it's better to do good things than not to do good things. But there's a better offer here. The, the gospel says, offer your weak desires to Jesus and enjoy the benefits and the warmth and the love of his acceptance and the Holy Spirit will move you to go where you can get more of that in spiritual community where you learn, pray and give time to deepening spiritually. I do a lot of chatting with people in church and can I tell you in case you think you're alone, our church is full of people longing for that deep, spiritual, intentional friendship and relationship but also full of people who don't want to take the first step to ask for it or do the things that would achieve it. I don't know why that's a British culture or a church culture thing. It just seems to be where we are. Let's take that to Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to make a difference. Two sides before we move on. Uh, this is a slightly facetious point. But I think it's interesting. No one in Acts 2 is saying, I'm busy and I don't have time. People from all over the world are there for this festival. They meet Jesus, the Spirit fills them, and they seem to have just stayed in Jerusalem, even though they're from all over the world. They didn't go home. I mean, they totally disrupted what was in their lives because this really mattered. And... I think lots of us need to take that to Jesus and ask for the Holy Spirit's help to live a different type of life because we just can't do this because life is too full. Once a week YouTube talk is easier and leaves me more time to do other things. But we know that's unsatisfactory. We know that's not spiritually fulfilling. I don't condemn anyone for busyness, but I just want to say, take it to Jesus. Enjoy his benefits. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help to work out a different way. Second aside, I don't want to skip over the bit about miracles in verse 44. So the apostles are doing miracles and everyone in the church is filled with awe. It's a real risk in a church like ours, you say. Let's just skip over that bit and say everybody gathers for Bible teaching. So let's be clear, it seems to me miraculous things do happen throughout the history of the church, not just here in Acts 2. Particularly miraculous things seem to happen when the church is advancing in a sort of across a frontier in the task of mission. Now I don't mean silly miracles like statues weeping blood or, you know, you know little bagatelles, strange little odd things that happen. But there seem to be, like in this case, people for whom God seems to miraculously provide, because like these first Christians, they're on the frontier of taking the gospel to a new community in a frightening place. So I think that's a possibility, and we should never rule it out in our own church life, particularly in that situation. But in Acts, Luke, the writer of Acts, is focused on the role of the apostles in the church community these first people who were commissioned by Jesus, and miracles in the church in Acts seem to sort of surround the apostles, not the recent converts and the whole church community. So the apostles' teaching is in here, and I think Luke records the miracles for us, not to say, in this case, copy them, but to say there were people worth listening to. And that's probably how we 
should respond. So the Spirit forms a community that is spiritual. Next thing that we see, the Spirit forms a community that is sacrificial. They were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. This is conjuring up the worst nightmare for some people in our church family. Did they live together and own everything like communists? I had a history teacher who wasn't a Christian once who said, this passage shows the Christians were the first communists because they had everything in common. I had a, a Christian history teacher who replied, said, if that's the definition of communists, they were the only communists because actual communist states just means the government own everything and people close to the government get rich. Maybe cynical. Well, we see later in the passage, they did still have their own home. So sigh of relief if you thought I was about to announce we're all moving in together. What is going on with uh, being together and having everything in common is opened up in the next verse. Needs were known and met by people's sacrifices. Not in a formal sort of needy persons fund. Actually, that comes later in Acts 6. A system comes for deacons to distribute uh, to people in need. But here, the Holy Spirit creates a type of fellowship, a relationship where needs are known and where there was such closeness, you, they couldn't bear for someone else to be in need while they had something they didn't need. Again, there have been lots of people visiting, hadn't there, who decided to stay. So they need places to live and use their homes. They needed to share their stuff. And that's what the Holy Spirit creates, not a commune. Although for some Christians, living with other Christians is actually a very good way to live in community and grow in discipleship. But this wider pattern of needs are known and the rest joyfully sacrifice something to meet the need, that is just there. That is the quality of relationship that the Holy Spirit brings. That doesn't mean you have to respond to every random person in church asking you for money. That can be feeding someone else's bad habits. But it is saying, in step with the Spirit, you will have the quality of relationship where someone can tell you their needs and you will joyfully meet them. And you would feel able to say you had a need and happily receive what they give, even if it means losing something that matters to them. Perhaps that's the biggest problem we have in this culture. We can't stand the thought people would sacrifice to give us something that we need. But the Holy Spirit creates that. Now, can I say there are marks of this in our church life? I get a bird's eye view of this probably more than most people. There are people who live alone, bubbling at the moment with other people. And it's a very happy thing. But the people who have done that means they're limiting to not bubbling with their family or they're having to not just keep their home to themselves. It's a long time for having just one friend who can come into your house or just being able to visit one particular family. And it was humbling for people to ask for that. It's a sacrifice for people to give it. Although, in the, like in the Acts 2 way, it's a joyful sacrifice. And there's lots of, I think, I guess, people in our church helping each other out financially when it's needed. It's how mission partners are funded all the time. They come to individuals in the church and say, will you give me what I need to do my mission? And people in our church joyfully and happily give to that, even if it means missing out and stuff themselves. To be honest, it's how me and my family live through people being like this. So it does happen. And yet, could it be that for some of us, this period has given us the chance to avoid this type of awkward relationship. 
For some of us, it's convenient that we're not allowed people in our homes and it's nice to have the pressure off that church are always going on about it. It's nice that at the end of church you're not allowed to say hello to that awkward 18-year-old and invite them for a meal. They're off the radar now. We can stop feeling bad. We can have cosy family times and not have to worry about that person without a family. And those feelings of, I guess, being satisfied with the freedom of having to sacrifice for others, those feelings are not from the Spirit. If we're avoiding ways of giving things up from the sake of, for the sake of others, rather than looking for them, well, we need to repent and go to Jesus and ask for the Spirit's help to change. Here's the fourth thing that we see. The Spirit forms a community that is communal. A community that is communal goes without saying, I guess. That's how communities work. But I guess what I'm getting at here in verse 46 and 47 is that they liked being together. They met every day. I don't think that means we should uh, put in a structure of daily services. No, it's saying the Spirit created this thing where they wanted to be in the same place at the same time a lot. Both for acts of worship in the temple and for food around their houses. And when they did have food around their houses, they were friends, it's clear. But it was more than that. They praised God when they saw each other. And the vibrancy of that God-centered community that wanted to be together drew other people in. So let me be frank. If you have enjoyed the break from seeing church people, that's a spiritual problem. If you are complaining about being disconnected from people while you don't make any effort to connect with people and you view that as a drag, that's a spiritual problem. People can dress it up in spiritual language. God's leading me to a new community. The Spirit is leading me away from being connected with people. Well, the Spirit could be leading you somewhere where you may be more effective in spreading the gospel. He's quite into that. That probably is the Spirit. And the Spirit could be leading you away from a church where falsehood is being taught or abusive behaviour is going on. The Spirit is very against those things. But if it's just that your experience of church is not what you want, well, remember this day of Pentecost picture we've been looking at. God isn't in one place now where we go to find him. The Spirit's in you. So you can manifest, make clear the presence of God by stepping in and being like this. But don't forget Jesus. Not command and do it to me. It's take your failure to Jesus and let the Spirit transform you. Refreshing and strength that comes from knowing and experiencing that you're adopted into God's family by his Spirit will create this desire in us to love each other and the vibrancy, spiritual vibrancy in community that people who don't know Jesus are exposed to it. And that and the message draws them in, as well as we're going to see some people being put off. Studying Acts 2 has given me a sad ache. But it's a sad ache that's right. Because at the moment we can't do lots of these things and it's painful missing them. But it's also been a good moment for me to shine this picture of what the Holy Spirit does into my own heart and take the wrong things this picture exposes to Jesus and ask for the power of his spirit to be this community that 
actually we long for and we want to be ready to be part of. Not excusing the ways we withdraw from this, but taking them with God to God and saying, fill us with your spirit and make us like this. There's one thing though that this situation we're in at the moment does give us a chance to do in this area. Before all this happened, many of us just had cluttered lives, bringing in things that made this type of connection, spiritual, sacrificial, communal community, impossible. Ballet lessons and work commitments and exams and social media just meant we didn't have time to see church people every day, to be in the act of worship and have always people in our homes. And now, at this moment, is a time that we can, in the power and guidance of the Spirit, stop and make different choices for what comes next. We can dream, as the, the Bible says the Spirit will bring us to do. We can envision, we can pray, we can shape the longing of our heart that we could be part of a community with this spiritual reality when we gather together and in our homes all the time, where we talk about real things, where we sacrifice for the sake of others, where we enjoy and see each other all the time, when we praise God when we're together and where people who don't know him are, are drawn in. Now's the time we can begin to evaluate whether or the life we've got allows us to do that. You can't ignore the spirit and turn church into a weekly meeting and squeeze it in round things that actually, if you're honest, you don't even think matter as much as the church. But the Spirit says, let's not. Let's not do it that way. Let's enjoy the benefits of Jesus. Let's therefore let the Spirit sweep through and let's do something different. We're going to start by reflecting, thinking and praying right now.